Last time, Cobra discovered the secret of Dragonfire, a natural force that Cobra is using to create the most powerful weapon in the world. Scoop became a G.I. Joe by saving Sergeant Slaughter's life. But what the Joes don't know is that Scoop is really a Cobra spy. And now, stay tuned for today's episode of Operation Dragonfire. Fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe. International heroes. G.I. Joe is there. Let's plunge into it, boys. Episode 95 of G.I. Joeberg. Operation Dragonfire. Day 2. I'm your host, Stephen. And I'm joined by... Paul in Joeberg. Robert from his bedroom. And Cujo on the West Coast. And I actually had a thought after we were done with our previous conversation. I have to ask Robert on the air. Were you at all offended by the animal companion of a sloth? <laughs> from our previous episode. Probably not. I, I kind of feel it. I feel the sloth. <laughs> Maybe I'm just super mysterious. And <laughs> like the only interpretational version of people that people have kind of experienced is literally me sleeping on camera in that one video for um, Two videos now that numbers and numbers and letters guys uh you know cobra month shout out to hooded cobra commander 8788 <laughs> 877 <laughs> um, i'll clean that up in the edit man <laughs> you know how i roll i don't make mistakes um at least not when yeah, I'm not so, I mean, sloth is, sloth is pretty good. I'm just glad someone came up with something, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Whiskey. I got a Kung Fu fighting cricket, man. I'd like, I got Jiminy. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're making dreams come true. If you've hit play on this podcast, chances are we haven't put you off by exploring the wonderful world of Deke in Operation <laughs> Dragonfire Part 1. <laughs> oh, gosh. In Operation Dragonfire Day 2, a character that we're only acquainted with as the Crimson Guardsman has now traded in his previous unit for now the new unit of the Alley Vipers. So what better definitive sculpt to discuss than that of the Alley Viper? So what's it going to be, boys? Miranda flavor or... Do you fancy a bumblebee? <laughs> I actually would like to hear Stephen weigh in first, because I think he'll set the standard, and maybe we can tweak him afterwards. Very well. Okay, okay, here we go. I think that the the best mystique of the Alley Viper is given to us in that loud orange and blue. Uh, that's the Alley Viper. That's the original card art. That is a figure that many G.I. Joe collectors who bemoan the use of neon colors later on in the line have nothing bad to say about. It tends to be Alley Viper on the one hand and Sci-Fi on the other. Those instances of neon are not as frowned upon as, say, Ice Cream Soldier and the Septic Tank. <laughs> so I have no problem with that orange. And I latched onto the words of... G.I. Joe Scribe, Form BX257, who in his review of the Alley Viper said that 
these guys are heavy assault troopers and they want you to try and shoot at them. They are heavily armored and they are the kind of unit that draw fire. So they want to be seen. They want to be visible. So that other more discreet units, perhaps night vipers, can move up in the flanks. Okay, I added that last bit because it just sounds cool, right? It makes a lot of sense, yes. What the Alley Viper does do, quite cleverly, by using a contrasting color like blue, is to break up his own silhouette so that you're shooting at him, but all the vital parts are somewhat lost in this confliction of orange and blue. That is if you can find a vital part on him anyways. I mean... His face is armored, his head is armored, his center mass is armored, shoulders are armored, uh, knees, boots, everything is tough as shit on these guys. Not to mention the fact that they carry a riot shield, which is, to my mind, the only use of that kind of, of device in the classic G.I. Joe line. And one of the best uses of it as well, because not only does it form a f- defensive barrier, uh, very bulletproof. It also has those excellent notches for laying the rifle through, or laying the, his um, mm. submachine gun through, or, or heavy, heavy, heavy machine gun, whichever you prefer, prefer to play it as. So, so much about the Alley Viper's design is win, but that's enough by way of introduction. It's going to go the way of the orange, because of the reasons I've just uh, outlined, and that is definitively the Alley Viper. Everything else is just a different shade or different flavor of the Alley Viper. This is what we talk about when we talk definitive. It's got to be Fanta flavor, Fanta orange flavor. But I'm going to go contrary to my uh, usual pattern and say I'm going to go with the 25th anniversary, the Defense of Cobra Island 7-pack Alley Viper. And the reasons are numerous. But I'd say that this is the best example of a modern era figure improving upon its predecessor, improving upon its source material. All of the trimmings are there. The shield is there. The backpack is there. The helmet with the visor that comes down is there. But everything's tweaked and all for the better. Okay, added articulation aside, you've now got active knife sheaths with these dainty little knives in both locations that the original had sculpted knives. You've got extra colors being brought out. He's got blue on his knee pads. He's got armored portions on his boots, which are now even more detailed. You have a vest, which is true to the original, but is at the same time removable. So you can have an Alley Viper kit down or kit up, uh, depending on how you, you want to play him. You've got the shield very faithfully reproduced, but slightly elongated, which makes more sense to me. But this time it's got both a painted Cobra sigil on the front and this ingenious little nightstick, just in case you want your Alley Viper to go non-lethal. I mean, maybe these guys are designed to put down riots, so they would be taking on crowds with shields and batons as opposed to assault rifles and submachine guns. The symbols on the helmets are both painted, which kind of does make one very aware of the fact that he's got this doubling up of, of Cobra symbols on the helmet, which 
Yeah, I mean, it is true to the original, so I can't fault it for that. But it is kind of weird. It is kind of weird having two symbols on the helmet. The backpack now has an active gun. You can take the grapple gun off the backpack. <laughs> a little bit too efficiently on the 25th anniversary version, because it doesn't really have any kind of peg to hold it in. But a discrete elastic band or black el fabric elastic will will solve that. Or you can just swap it out for the later ones. And I'm going to make a very controversial statement now and say that I prefer the MP10 that the 25th anniversary version comes with as opposed to the signature gun of the Alley Viper, which is a glorious gun, but it's a bit cumbersome to hold, particularly for the classic O-ring figure. And the final point that I have, or feature, that I'd like to make light of on the 25th anniversary Alley Viper is the fact that he uses a lot of the Snake Eyes version 3, 25th anniversary version um, body sculpt, including the snap links on his waist. And anyone who knows me knows I love practical features on my action figures. So to be able to accurately simulate a repelling action using those, those waist-mounted snap links is just the icing on the cake. It is fantastic. So yeah, the definitive version of the Alley Viper, surprise, surprise, is a modern era version, the 25th anniversary Defensive Cobra Island 7-pack version. Next! Plot twist. Okay, well, I'm probably going to back Steven up. <laughs> it is your figure, after all. Ooh. It is. It is indeed. You're liking a figure you don't even own. But the 11th version does take everything from the original and just kind of amplifies it. And it's true that the coloring is, is outrageous, but it, it feels appropriate. Although I think what's never been appropriate for me is the fact that he's called an alley viper. Because alleys are normally things that you don't notice so much. It's kind of like wide open roads. They're kind of like hidden and out of the way. While the alley viper is very brash in, in your face. And that to, to me was always kind of like a juxtaposition. Also an interesting thing, or at least... Um, kind of visually looking at the Alley Viper, especially if you look at the original, I would reckon that the percentage of blue on this figure to orange is probably about 33%. Oh, um, my goodness. Two-thirds orange with about a, a third blue on there. What percentage does black get? Well, black... Well, then black is kind of like the little little extra percentage. That's that's the, the 10 on top of the 110% that, that makes this figure so cool. <laughs> I can back that up 110%. Yeah, you know it. And definitely, as Steven said as well, um, the use of um, the 25th anniversary Snake Eyes, which is one of the best like modern molds that they've produced for the series because it's so versatile. And fantastic, and just, it's great. Do you think there is a Cobra figure with more Cobra sigils on him than the Alley Viper? I'm counting four on the figure alone, and then a fifth on his shield. That is incredible. He just, he loves Cobra that much. Yeah, he's got one on each bicep, and then two on his helmet, and then the fifth. On a shield. Hmm. That's a lot of Cobra love. Repping pretty hard. Yeah. You can never not know that this guy is Cobra. I like those points you brought up, 
Rob, especially about the colors. Oddly enough, I'm not even going to go there. There's already too much 33 action here. But I would say that maybe the bright orange could be what they call in the States shock and awe. You know, if somebody's kicking your door down, your first question is, who is this guy? Second question is, why is he wearing neon? I mean, by the time you get to the third question, you're, you're probably dead. I would default to the classic versions because they got bulk, where V11, you, you got a stick man up there. <laughs> I mean, it says on the file card, these guys are lugging around upwards of 80 pounds. So that's a nice touch on the file card because you go from, oh, this dude's a beast, you know? Uh, Cujo, are you are you are you referencing his uh, his sort of undressed look that Yojo.com loved to photograph their figures in? Um, I am, I am. Ah, well, check out the all geared up picture, and you might get a surprise. He gets quite a bit of bulk from that vest, and the vest is fantastic. Yeah, it, he does get more bulked up, but the thing is, he's still a stick man. You look at his legs; he's he's more a runner than he is a a wrestler. It's actually <laughs> a good point. Skips leg day. Let's do a quick tour through some alleys, shall we? The first alley I'm going to mention is uh, V5. Noteworthy because of his color Such scheme. Such a dirty mouth. <laughs> I will not, and here's why. Shout out to JD on the East Coast if you're out there. This guy would be a great fit for the four-wheel drive uh, Rattler, wouldn't he? Be a nice look in there. So there's a place for him. Going to V6, I can see like four or five of those guys rolling with a couple uh, Crimson Guards. That'd be a nice color scheme. I, I do kind of understand why you throw an orange figure out every once in a while and i do agree with rob that the alley viper doesn't seem to work as a name but it, it is a it is a attractive name i'm gonna go with v7 oddly enough um not because of the card art obviously th- those packagings were trash we all know but if you're thinking about like a group of cobra soldiers rolling up on a on a locked door you got a, a guy that looks like a Cobra soldier, except he's rocked up with a thicker vest and a shield, and he's leading the way. And then you got a bunch of, uh, you know, just the covered faces behind him. But one, one last thing before uh, Paul jumps in the fray. The Alley Viper and the Cobra Shock Trooper, I believe, serve the same purpose. The Shock Trooper came later. He has the clear plastic shield, which is more recognizable if you've been watching the news lately. But... <laughs> Well, who do you guys default to when you're saying, I need a dude to kick a door down? Are you thinking about Shock Trooper or Alley Viper? No. Uh, for me, it's Alley Viper, dude. Even though I love the Shock Viper, I think it's a gorgeous figure. But uh, Alley Viper, for me. Yeah, probably Alley Viper, too. The Shock Viper is a textbook example of what the modern era added that I'm personally not in favor of. And that's... Just taking the fun out, it's a perfect real-world design. But in so doing, it's removed so much of the cobra-ness. Yeah. It looks like a conceivable, believable, like, urban assault trooper who just happens to be a cobra. The Alley Viper, however, that design just screams cobra in a way that... Yeah, mm. sure, we can we can dissect it now as, like, them marketing colorful toys to children. But in hindsight, that just makes it even more appealing to me now. I don't want a bunch of mm. Joes and Cobras that look like they stepped out of the design boards from Call of Duty Modern Warfare. 
you know, that that doesn't appeal to me. I'm a nostalgia junkie through and through. And Joe and Cobra need to be distinctive and not look. I mean, this this is something that um, Strident and I actually have bantered about. And we, we should actually put out a, a full-scale debate about old school versus new school. And the merits for both. And also the shortcomings for both. And why we are collectors in our respective spheres. Because he is an exclusive modern era collector, and I'm an exclusive vintage era collector. It's just, it's it's missing the fun, man. If it didn't have a Cobra symbol on it, I wouldn't have known it was Cobra. I wouldn't even known it was from the G.I. Joe toy line if it wasn't so damn good. <laughs> That's so apt that uh, you call him the Fanta, the Fanta colored um, trooper, you know, and then you just say like, you know, the fun factor. So it's like, taste the fun. Fanta. You know, sorry. Just uh... chase the rainbow. Skittles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, in the yeah. late 80s and early 90s, Hasbro were candy merchants. They were selling us sweet, sticky looking things. Mm. Yep. 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 Willy Wonka. I. Uh, sorry, man. Are you. Are you. No, I'm 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 reviewing the scores here. We've got two for the 25th anniversary uh, Cobra Island defense of uh, Pack Ali Viper, and we've got one for the Blue Ali Viper from the 2000s. Wow! Yeah. And then there's me. What's you? You guys and the listeners obviously know about the sort of sordid love affair that uh, us GI Joe burgers have with the uh, European GI Joe catalog which is the first time that I happened to lay eyes on the Ali Viper. And from that day on, I have coveted that figure. So the Ali Viper was this like toy, this like mythical G.I. Joe figure that I had just, I don't know, it just it was just amazing. It came with a shield, its helmet flipped up, uh, much like, you know, the Targats did. Uh, it seemed to have all of this other, you know, all of this gear on it. It just looked really fantastic. And that gun... And the backpack, and it was just, it was just a sterling toy. It was just, it was food for the imagination. And uh, when, uh, when that uh, assault on Cobra Island and defense of Cobra Island uh, packs came in, they came out just as I sort of got back into twenty four into GI Joe collecting, and I was finally united with an Ali Viper, albeit in modern form. Now, not knowing anything about modern era, not knowing that the Ali Viper had reused uh, parts, I was treated to what I thought was one of the finest figures in the 25th anniversary line. Uh, it had all of this really great modern styling, removable knives. The shield was still as great as, uh, as I remember seeing it from the catalog shots. Everything, everything was there. And the helmet this time was removable, uh, which, you know, the original doesn't have. Obviously, I know that. But, I mean, it was just, uh, it was just really great. Then I, I then started my Ali Viper obsession. I now own, I think, about eight of them. But that's because I have this uh, Ali Viper squad, which mans my Cobra Rage, or I think it's called the Cobra Fury, if you, uh, if you take the Pursuit of Cobra version of it. So I love Ali Vipers. And, you know, as somebody who loves Ali Vipers, you're probably expecting me to say vintage. And the vintage is cool. And it is amazing. But my money is on modern era. Modern era... 25th anniversary, the orange and blue one. I think orange is a great color because orange, firstly, is a, is a strong warning color. It's a color that a lot of uh, people have an aversion to, a very strong aversion to. And it is 
I don't know. It's it just psychologically, you know, if you saw people dressed in orange and blue coming at you, I don't think your mind would know what to do with it. And then um, they start shooting people, and then you'll start you'll start panicking. Everything you see that's orange will make you even more paranoid. And I think that's the idea, because think of how many things in in an urban environment are actually orange or yellow, and how they are designed to caution us from holes and, you know, don't go down this road or, you know, take this do- detour or whatever, you know. So now you're being pursued by a bunch of these guys in their natural habitat. So, oh. yeah, man. Yeah. When you listen to this podcast, it's, you're going to have a weird moment where our minds sync up for a minute. Uh, I love the Ali Viper. Uh, I'm the biggest fan of the Ali Viper. Uh, in fact, one of our listeners, a gentleman by the name of Joel Thompson, uh, sent me a message and asked me what my favorite troop builder is. And I wanted to say Cobra Viper, but Ali Viper came out. And then he sent me a picture of an Ali Viper with a customized head on, and it's got my name now. So it's like Paul Ali Viper Commander. Which is part of his, like, set. Yeah, he, he apparently, um, with different uh, fans and friends of his, he's made G.I. Joe equivalents of them. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's like a voodoo doll thing. Yeah, kind of. If you're naughty, Paul, you're going to get a, a needle through your O-ring. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, guys, uh, in terms of play value, uh, the Alley Viper... Ugh. It, the modern era figure is great. It's like sometimes a modern era figure is actually impaired by all of its gear and all of its finagly bits, all of its over-articulation, etc. can sometimes get in the way of its play value. But I find an Alley Viper just works. It just offers a lot of fun. It lets you use that um, that really cool gun that it comes with. The removable grappling hook on the backpack adds a new dimension of play. Ah, oh, dudes, it's a cool toy. It's my number one. Uh, I would love to say vintage just because of my initial sort of love affair with it, but modern era all the way. Mm-hmm. If we have a couple minutes to talk Joe culture before we get into the cartoon, Forgotten Figures, uh, no stranger to G.I. Joburg, he just dropped a really comprehensive review and, and pretty insightful uh, about the modern era Cobra officer. I think he, he has the blonde-haired one in the review. If you're not familiar with Forgotten Figures in the Joe community, easily one of the most savvy uh, figure reviewers out there, and and not a bad uh, figure photographer. Uh, he's no he's no Plastic Battles, but who is right? But uh, definitely worth reading. Uh, if you want to run that down, you can probably find it in our feeds or, or Forgotten Figures feed. All right. Well, without further ado, here we go. Operation Dragonfire Day Two. Paul, you must be wetting yourself because you can finally talk about Mudbusters. Gentlemen, fire it up. G.I. Joe's premier and perhaps only prop-driven plane. What you got to say about that bad boy? It should not replace a fucking Sky Striker. I mean, for our <laughs> PC listeners, it was really disappointing to see a whole squadron of them. Like, it's like, you know, you got all this cool stuff happening. You got his t- uh, his tanks. You got the equalizer. You've got, I mean, you even have the devastator being mildly cool in this episode. And then mud fighters. And uh, like, I think the mud fighter is cool for its role, but I just don't see it as this aerial dogfighting vehicle. It just, 
Oh, I don't know. It stands out as being a bit misplaced. They probably couldn't think of anything new, or any, they couldn't put anything else out there. I mean, the mud fighter at the time was the jet, but yeah, not my not my mon- number one choice there. And even though it's cool, and I know Steve's got one, and the fact that Steve's got one has redeemed the mud fighter in my books. But yeah, I was I was disappointed. Think about it this way, Paul. You're comparing it to the Sky Striker, which is a very high standard of comparison. Uh, I'd feel more comfortable if you were making the correlation between the Mud Fighter and the Sky Hawk. I mean, these were both lower price point, smaller green planes that were used en masse by the sort of like G.I. Joe infantrymen could hop in those things and fly them around. So, eh. I think the Mud Fighter is is a perfectly adequate plane given the circumstances. I mean, they were fighting a landward battle. They've stumbled onto Cobra's plots to pillage the Dragonfire um, stockpile in the Mastodon Caves of France, which, once again, you'll be pleased to note, they didn't denote France by having it uh, next to the Eiffel Tower. Shock and horror. Instead, it looks more like, I don't know, Look more like North America, to be honest, with caves and rocks. And That's because most of Canada is French, and they couldn't do something like that because that would be insulting. <laughs> the uh, Skyhawk. Oh, Skyhawk. The um, Seriously, Paul? Anyway, um, you know what I'm talking about. Listeners, I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I know that the Mudfighter and that other jet that's name just eludes me right now. The Skyhawk. I know Skyhawk, yes. Sorry, I, it's the Sky Patrol thing that's got me all messed up. I know that they're on a similar price point, but just in the episode, it, they've got the same... Um, the Mudfighter has the same sort of visual flair as a, a Sky Striker. In in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the Mudfighter is trying to be a replacement Sky Striker in the episode. That's kind of where my my this my comes from. You don't see it actively dogfighting. And in fact, that's a criticism that I have for this episode, is that you're, you're getting an establisher of like the Joes flying into action with these vehicles, that being uh, Stalker and Lowlight side-by-side in Mud Fighters, and then <laughs> Fighter Ace, Scoop, swooping down on top of them in a helicopter-jet hybrid, the Skystorm, where he got his dazzling pilot skills on top of journalism. Uh, <laughs> we'll never know. But you've got these vehicles that are established, and they don't do anything for the rest of the episode. So we don't get to see the Mudfighter do what it does best, which is deliver a payload of bombs, which is something that it needed to do, man. As I say, Cobra was using tanks once again. There were no other aircraft to dogfight. The animation is pretty good in this episode, um, and they do one of those cool shots that Steven likes, where they kind of transition from a camera shot to that kind of a monitor shot again in this episode, when... Scoop is relaying the technical specifications of the Mud Blaster to Destro. Oh, Rob. <laughs> Which I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be once again harping on the negative. Uh, it points to a bit of a writer's flub. Uh, there's no better way to, 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 to describe it for me. And he, Doug Booth in this episode, right up front, is contravening the, the show-don't-tell rule like twice. We find out that Joes know where Cobra is uh, headed to get hold of more dragon fire in dialogue. We're told 
in a very contrived fashion that, hey, Scoop, it's a good thing you photographed those cobra plants. When? When did he do that? When did he do that? When did we see that happen? Anyways. <laughs> and then again, Destro kind of references it a second time. He's like, yes, thank you for sending us the uh, map to the, uh, the, 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 the other Dragonfire location. But it's a pity that you managed to let it slip to the G.I. Joes. And thank you for sending us the data on the mud fighter. That is most useful. But uh, we'll uh, have to curtail our our further communications because they're getting intercepted. Like, okay, that's cool. Um, too much exposition happening in, in talk. Uh, this did not happen at the end of episode one. And also, so what if he's got the technical specifications of the mud fighter? We don't see Cobra going into combat against them. So it's like, uh, you got set up with no payoff. Damn it. I think it's probably tough to script deception to a young mind, which obviously these are kids' cartoons. So they probably have to lay it on pretty thick that, oh, this person isn't who they say they are. And that that's a, that's, yeah, I mean, that's war. That kind of makes sense. Kind of makes sense. To support your point, Rob, the animation is spot on. I loved seeing me some mud fighters. I have even more love for seeing the Skystorm in action, even though the action was just flying inverted and mouthing off to low light. <sighs> Probably for me, the standout scene, or at least the, the scene that kind of, you know, points towards these guys getting things back on track is the fact that Cobra Commander gets turned back into a human, albeit a scaly human. <laughs> what do you guys think of that? <laughs> I want that action figure. <laughs> Naked Cobra Commander. Did that happen too quickly in the plotting? I mean, do you feel like that that should have been like maybe the crux of the entire series is turning him back into a human? Yeah, it, it kind of draws away from the the importance of the event, where it's kind of just like you know a throwaway scene in the second episode. I mean, you could have you really could have built that up towards the end and having him return properly and being a proper almost like a antagonist to Serpentor. I'm just wondering if there was pressure from fans, because, I mean, they kind of have to have that conversation on screen, because at this point in time, there's no message boards, there's no dialogue between fans, because the movie had just dropped, so, like, this is now a new studio dealing with the fallout of him being a snake, and just kind of, like, trying to dust that off as soon as possible. Is that what it feels like to you? Yeah, it is kind of abrupt. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of writing the ship, in a way. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, you guys did some cool stuff, but we need this character to be a human again so that there's a possibility for Hasbro to make more toys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the comic book and the cartoon both did the same thing, but handled in different ways. Cobra Commander had been written out in both media. Uh, you know, which is a more irreversible plot twist? Getting shot through the chest which looked pretty fatal, or getting turned into a snake. <laughs> hey, at least the snake's still alive. I honestly thought that snake would slither into obscurity after the fall of Cobra Law, but the second you see it, it established in Operation Dragonfire that Serpentor was keeping Cobra Commander in captivity, you know, you know that within the bounds of the cartoon reality, that is not going to stop Cobra Commander from being reintroduced. Was it handled well? Eh, no. 
and you're right, it could have been perhaps inserted later. But like having only just watched the first two parts of this miniseries, my mind races as to what would happen in a slightly more adult R-rated medium. I mean, you've got this mutant snake man on a quest for bloody revenge against Mindbender, against Serpentor, against Destro, and ultimately against the woman that resurrected him. I think the coup de grace would be that after slaying all of his enemies and, I don't know, tearing their heads off and drinking their blood, he then sort of <laughs> drops the, the, the warm, headless corpse of Serpentor, wipes his chin, and then turns around to the Baroness and says, Remind me, Baroness, didn't you once say, and I quote, You botched our desert campaign. You turned victory into defeat again and again and again. <laughs> he's, a, he's a really good ventriloquist. <laughs> I thank you very much. Since Sir Pentor's introduction, is it now that the two characters need each other to exist in the narrative? Like, if one's out of the picture, is the other one as interesting? Like, since Sir Pentor's introduction. Hmm. I'd say, once again, I'm drawing parallels between the cartoon and the comic book. I think the tension between Cobra Commander and Serpentor only really played up in the bookends. So in Arise, Serpentor, Arise, you had it. And then again in G.I. Joe the movie, you had it. But in the intervening series of cartoon, it was absent. So for the day-to-day serialized running of the ship... It wasn't as important, but yeah, it, it, it becomes evident that it is a th- quite a thing, you know, in the the fall of Cobra Commander, that being G.I. Joe the movie. In the comic book, that catapulted Cobra into the Cobra Civil War, so that was a far more interesting um, combination of this antagonism between the Commander and the Emperor. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, though, Kujo. I don't know if there's an answer. I think it's just opinion. <laughs> Do you think it was it was played up very well? I mean, did you enjoy, I don't know, that antagonism? Do you think there could have been more of it? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, there's a lot of G.I. Joe threads to consider. Um, as far as the cartoon goes, I'm kind of discovering this series as we're watching it in real time. I've not seen past the second episode, so I don't know how this plays out. Which is why this debate is kind of moot, because... It certainly doesn't happen in day two. Day two ends with the cliffhanger of, yeah, I'm going to get my uniform back and I'm going to move back into the neighborhood. Watch out, Serpento, here I come. Oh, that looks like a tasty fly. Cobra Commander is back. End of the episode, roll credits. With that annoying fucking budget John Williams Superman score that just is on loop. I know we haven't really dis- we haven't really discussed the intro and the outro of the Operation Dragonfire miniseries, but it is sadly uh, budget. I mean, not only have we lost the signature new opening credits sequence or title sequence, I mean they're just using basically a cut down of all the action sequences from the show. You know, instead of using its own animated attention grabber, but also like the end credits are dull as shit. 
I haven't minded. <laughs> Sorry, let me let me spare you guys. I haven't minded the uh, sound design, really. I mean, hmm. budget considered. I'm not talking about the animation, just the sound design. Okay. Well, I can't wait till we get into the rest of Dick. <laughs> Is there but, any other huge plot points we should visit? I think probably another big standout sequence in this episode that I think Stephen is is you know chewing at the bit uh, gnawing at the at the leather, leather straps something at the bit know, that one <laughs> that he's probably very excited to talk about is Stalker and his fantastic boat not just Stephen <laughs> <laughs> Do you maybe want to um, get the the mass rolling off the ball, Paul? Yes, let's 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 uh, let's kick this uh, can into the water. Okay, so like I don't actually remember anything that really happens in this episode, despite oh, having watched shut it. Shut your hole. <laughs> okay, they're in the cave. The no, 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 no. Let me finish. Let me finish. Okay, so. But there is one sequence that stands out above all others, and that is that damn canoe. I love that whole sequence. <laughs> okay? It is just beautiful. And the fact that you get to see Stalker's, possibly Stalker's best accessory ever being used in an animated series, when all it was was something on the card art and something on the card that, you know, you couldn't really play with if you didn't have a body of water near you, to see it come alive, and then to have an Alley Viper stuck on it at one point was amazing. Okay, go for it, Steve. <laughs> uh, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll jump around then, uh, because I, I'm going to address the canoe first and then double back as to its purpose in the plot and, and how many plot points we've kind of missed on the way. But anyways, talking about the canoe itself, very, very faithfully animated. Did you guys notice that the side that has the outrigger you know you push the outrigger through a sort of a bar, a white plate that extends it from the, the hull of the canoe? Yeah. It's basically a standard G.I. Joe back peg with mm. this sort of... Okay, so that's that sort of star shape is faithfully reproduced by the animators. <laughs> I mean, have you ever? They could have left that off and just had the outrigger have like a, a clean straight line underneath it but no they animated every element of that canoe in painstaking detail even the things on the the the, the deck of it that look like they look like flippers like square flippers they're not flippers but as a four-year-old i was like oh, those are extra flippers stalker pulls out the the i suppose it must be a 30 cal and mounts it to the deck i mean it's like this cartoon is writing the textbook on how to present actual toys that you can buy. It was always a frustration of mine when watching Sunbow and seeing non-toy elements. If there's one thing that Deke did very faithfully, it was make 21 minutes toy commercials. <laughs> because you can buy pretty much everything that gets showcased. Uh, and boy, does it make me excited as an adult to watch. Jumping back a few steps, uh, when they were establishing, like, 
This is Cobra's new setup. They've invaded these Mastodon caves and they've established a Dragonfire force field that only Cobra armor can get through because they've got these protective amulets or whatever to allow them to pass through the shield. Uh, did you guys notice Copperhead riding a Cobra hovercraft? One of those battlefield robots? He gets another feature in this episode as well. He kind of is in command of, well, I suppose, the, the, the position that Destro then evacuates in order to find further uh, sources of dragon fire. Anyway. Oh, crazy. I didn't realize that. No, I didn't see that at all. Yeah, Paul, yeah. But, you know, maybe watch the show instead of, like, I do watch on the, the show. I just, I just something I just didn't notice. I mean, like, I mean, like I said to you guys, I watched it properly without, like, you know, drawing okay. or anything. Well, <laughs> they didn't even mention him by name. But anyways, is this the same Copperhead that disappears when the Matatron's Deucer zaps the G.I. Joe team into the Cobra-controlled North America in Worlds Without End, parts one and two? Hmm. I always wondered what happened to old Copperhead. Yeah, that's true, actually. Like, now that you mention it, I can't think of... Yeah, because uh, now that you mention it, it is quite jarring that you see Copperhead in the show. Like, there is one instance where we see him before this episode or before that moment. And I was like, oh, Copperhead. <laughs> but, like, he's just sort of standing there. Um, but it didn't register because, like, you know, sometimes when you watch a cartoon a lot, it's just sort of like just the way, you know, you sort of expect to see certain characters. But that's just me. Like, maybe my brain was just filling in the blanks there. Once again, he's a victim of budget cuts. We've got a bunch of Joes that have no lines, and he would be a Cobra that has no lines. Uh, on the Joe team, I mean, like, pretty much all the Slaughter's Marauders, from Barbecue to Spirit to Mutt to Footloose, uh, like, they they got nothing to say, man. And Copperhead is an example of a Cobra non-speaking role. They've even, like taken away his eyes did you see that his helmet has a pane of glass or i don't know some kind of face shield that covers his eyes you've now lost even that bit of personality but fortunately he still does have a code name and some command responsibilities for some reason and he managed to make it out of the worlds without end impressive maybe copperhead some kind of trans-dimensional being <laughs> you know like we yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I have to throw something Hoovian ish here or whatever, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's the doctor, I don't know. <laughs> so the premise of day two of Operation Dragonfire is Cobra trying to get a second source of Dragonfire, and an even stronger source of Dragonfire uh, that can extend beyond just a defensive shield and actually create offensive weapons as they did in Nepal and link it with the main Dragonfire font that Serpentor has. And G.I. Joe's game is obviously to stop this. So they want to sneak into this mountain complex, into these caves. And Stalker has managed to, to find himself a back door, together with Lady J and the Thunderclap. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, how, how much of a surprise is that? And they even have uh, long range there as well. Yeah, that, that was a, a one but it was definitely a money shot. I... Yeah, they had a lot of detail in that cockpit shot when he deploys the Thunderclaps cannon. Cool. I could have stood to see more of that, but we got a fair trade because while the, the Thunderclap has always had a lot of personal spotlight for me because it was one of those childhood vehicles and it really left a big impression, Stalker's Kayak was a toy that mm, was often disregarded for me. It didn't help the fact that 
my childhood stalker, whom the whom the kayak belonged to, was a victim of the lawnmower. Uh. So to see some shine being given to that kayak is uh, great in my books. It's just ironic that Stalker plans his assault inside this mountain, this cave, which has a, a stream running through it. He, he's able to use the kayak to swim or to paddle upstream, basically. Uh, it must have been a very gentle, gentle stream. <laughs> You're... But that... That is a, a yeah. personal high point for sure, man. And and also something I'd like to just touch on just before we get a bit too far from it. You know the ancient mask that uh, Baroness finds? Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, she's on a mission to try and get Cobra Commander restored and using all of that, uh, all the, the sort of hoodoo and whatever that she can. The That ancient mask, that thing's pretty badass. I would have loved it if, the, if like Hasbro had done a Deke box set or something, and that we had had a Baroness with that mask. I think it would have been very, very cool. I think it's a, it's a, it's a cool accessory. I like it. And, it. and it definitely alludes to Cobra's sort of willingness to use like black magic, if that makes sense, or ancient magic, which I kind of like. Uh, I, it's something that just uh, it adds something extra to, to Cobra for me. Well, they've yeah. certainly done a lot of magic in previous episodes. Well, not a lot, but in, you know, the Sunbow series. I mean, they've done, dealt with ghosts and uh, King Arthur and, and it, it was quite a cool touch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I think a box set of this, of this, of Operation Dragonfire would be pretty cool. You could even put in a cool snaked up scaly Cobra Commander. Naked yeah, Cobra Commander. Absolutely. Yeah, which, which is also, um, <laughs> uh, oddly enough, uh, a, a figure that we do kind of have because, you know, there are there are uh, various snakes that they've released in the in the modern era line, and the most recent Cobra Commander, you know, the ultimate Cobra Commander, he comes with a, a cobra. I mean, it's it's a repackaged cobra from another character, but in my mind, that's Cobra Commander in snake form. <laughs> like that's why yeah, man. I want the man snake. Yes. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah. Mm. Okay, no, no. Like the, Steven the... wants the man snake. I want the man snake, <laughs> the naked cover commander. Oh man, <laughs> there, there are a number of points where my mind just wanders into uh, the kind of hijinks that happen in the voiceover booths. I mean, Lady J has an absolute howler of a line. She's like. Yeah, we can't seem to break in through the front door. Maybe we can use the back way. <laughs> um, I, I mean, she was a hair's breadth away from saying, we can get in through the back door. Oh, man. Oh, dear. And Baroness is like, yes, I can feel it inside me. <laughs> or something to that effect. She puts the mask on and she gets bathed in the, the, the yellow glow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes off the rails pretty quickly, but it's it's good fun. So she's off on her side quest to free Cobra Commander. Lady J and Lowlight are trying to shut down the Dragonfire Shield. Destro is finding a stronger source of Dragonfire, as I have already reiterated. And Stalker, I suppose his mission is also to disrupt Cobra's operations in there, maybe to intercept Destro. Anyways, he stumbles onto the Alley Viper, and that's where things start getting exciting, because you have a one-on-one -on -one duel 
between him and the Alley Viper, which then kind of breaks apart, and the Alley Viper stumbles on, back onto Scoop, and he's like, Hey, man, I ditched the Crimson Guards. Now I'm an Alley Viper. Now, I always thought that was probably a demotion, but maybe not. I don't know. Do you, do you guys think of the Alley Viper as a kind of a, uh, a more elite unit than the Crimson Guard? No. I think if you're a Crimson Guardsman and you're in the Alley Viper, you're probably checking up on the other Alley Vipers and making sure there are no sort of dissidents. I, I agree with you there as well because it's kind of weird. It's like as I've seen, well, as I've mentioned in the episode, in the previous episode, the Crimson Guards aren't regular rank. It's kind of a an elite unit that is put together on its own terms. It may pick its ranks or it may choose. Uh, individuals from different Cobra training facilities or whatever, but it's a it's not a rank that you achieve. You don't like go through Cobra and go. Okay, one day I'm going to end up being a Crimson Guard. It's it's like I think they very secretly tap you. I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of other Cobras don't actually know that some of their bunkmates are Crimson Guards. I think that there's a stricter helmet policy and whatever in a Terradrome with regards to Crimson Guards, and. Um, that wasn't supposed to rhyme. And I think the Alley Vipers are still, they're still grunts. They might be the most elite grunts, but they're still grunts. They, they're not quite the Navy SEALs, but they're not regular infantry either. It's kind of thing. But they're certainly not Gestapo level Crimson Guardsmen. That's how Paul sees it. So. I'll buy that. So Stalker misinterprets this perchance meeting between Scoop and the Alley Viper. And he's like, hey, don't worry, buddy, I'll get you out of there. Bearing in mind that earlier on in the episode, Scoop uh, sees Stalker tearing off in his kayak, and he's like, that guy is awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, do you guys take this as uh, as read that he actually is kind of fawning over a G.I. Joe? Or do you think Scoop is just playing the role and he's acting? Is he really turning the corner this quickly. Kujo? Well, if you're asking a scoop question, I'm looking at Rob. <laughs> Maybe he does admire them, you know, they're kind of bravado in attempting to take on Cobra, but he's definitely still on the side of Cobra at this point. I mean, he has no reason to not keep his allegiances on the Cobra side of things. Hmm. A theory that I think I think it was Cujo cooked up in our previous recording, was that perhaps Scoop, because he was this journo, was made a kind of an honorary Crimson Guardsman. That he's not actually as fanatical as a Crimson Guardsman is typically made to be. You know, Cobra saw an opportunity that he had a, a platform which would be useful to Cobra, so they gave him honorary rank and title and uniform and took him into the fold. Maybe that that somehow, some way at least, explains how how he's so easily changeable in his opinions. Uh, because if he was a, a, a through-and-through, true crimson-blooded guardsman, I don't think he'd so easily fall in with the Joes and be swept up in it, at least not sincerely. So there are two theories here. Either he's really fawning over Stalker, which supports the theory that he's not a true believer, fanatical Crimson Guardsman, and just an honorary Crimson Guardsman, or he's just the world's best actor. And he's like, <laughs> well, no, at this point he's laying it on a little bit thick. 
but still, he's he's staying in character. I think that it could probably both be. I mean, it's still true because like I I still think that people certain organizations will reach out if they need a certain tool or or a person that does that skill well. So I mean. Scoot probably got swept up in the in the pageantry or, or what he thought was insiders, and then when the you know when the check comes due, but no, he uh, that sounded like genuine admiration to me. It was a good line reading. That's how I take it. Yep, and certainly supported by the the turning point of the episode where Ali Viper is knocked out. I don't know how they they managed to have that happen when he's the one with the helmet for crying out loud. But anyway, Ali Viper is knocked out and sprawled out on the, the prow of Stalker's kayak. Scoop is paddling the kayak, and Stalker's straddling the back. And the Ali Viper comes to, and he's like, Here, Scoop, take my gun. Kill that Joe. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. But Scoop's like, he hesitates. He's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. This, this Joe's, like, not a bad guy. So, yeah, I mean, that's when the wheels fall off at least with one of the theories. It seems like Scoop genuinely is turning a corner. Otherwise, he'd be like, ha-ha, blam, <laughs> push the jaw off into the water. Oh, dear. It was a casualty of war. He could still maintain his cover. It's still early. Oh, you think that maybe maybe he wants to worm his way a little bit deeper into G.I. Joe's confidences? Well, the man to convince is Lowlight. I think we're seeing a character turn. But it's in the second episode, we got three more to go. So not everybody's arc is fully developed yet. Yeah, for sure. I'm fascinated to know the fallout. Because Ali Viper, after being snubbed by Scoop, they don't kill Stalker, obviously. He gets hit in the back of the head and falls off the kayak. So he must be pretty pissed with his former buddy. Well, he has to understand that Scoop's undercover as much as possible. He has to maintain... A good, you know, standing with the G.I. Joes to be able to be useful. And not killing Stalker, I mean, that also kind of adds to his, you know, he's he's there to gain the confidence and keep the information flowing back to Cobra. I mean, that's more important than killing one enemy combatant. You know, I've never been so compelled to watch episode three of Operation Dragonfire until this moment. Because for the life of me, I can't remember how this pans out. Well, what I can tell you that what, what pans out is um, that super leap <laughs> that Paul, Paul was mentioning earlier. Um, that happens after he gets knocked out of the, the kayak. You know, when Scoop kind of faces his his moment of uh, crisis. Um, and if I jump. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm just remembering it now. That is, <laughs> it's impressive. I've actually managed to um, cure it up. What? Yeah, it's, right. It's incredible. Feet that defy gravity. <laughs> How yeah. does he do that? He's, he's just like leaps he's superhuman. miles. Maybe not miles, but I mean, it's it's definitely no normal person can do that. And and I, I'm starting to think Scoop is braver than he you know lets on because he knows this guy and he knows that you know the physical. Super feet he's capable of doing. Standing up to him like that. Wow. He's very brave. (laughs) Badass, man. I think you chose a a good favorite character. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, A good favorite character. (laughs) Or something. (laughs) And speaking of favorites, um, what are our highs and lows for this episode? 
I think it's it's got to go. It has to go down with some fanfare that Chris Lotta is back. Of all the the missteps and budget cuts in terms of the voice acting on the Deke series, it is fantastic to have the legendary voice of Starscream and Cobra Commander back in the role that endeared him to us in the first place. I mean, he is Cobra Commander. You just can't get away with with recasting him. Yeah, that is. Fully agreed. You know, like one of the last big cartoon roles he did was Cobra Commander again. I mean, not to sound like a selfish G.I. Joe fan, but I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. My low points for this episode, we didn't really discuss it right now, but I, I have to say that I'm never going to enjoy Cobra Troops being misused and the biggest perpetrator in this episode was the night vipers being used as techies basically they're just the kind of like i I don't know they're being used as the blue shirts basically uh they just kind of are the the non-specialist vipers which is a pity because they really should be utilized a lot more appropriately particularly since we're dealing with a cave environment where uh hello being able to work in low light conditions should be should be your thing but yeah. maybe you know there would have been animation challenges in 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 having a gloomy environment all the time but yeah it's a pity and also i'm not in favor with the way they're designed their uniforms seem a little bit too form fitting whereas the action figure gave you a more heavy set armored look you know he was wearing fabric over what looked like armor and the leggings were armored up like on this they look quite skinny and you can see muscle definition you can see pecs you can see biceps it's like they look they look like teenagers so it, it's 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 a uh, yeah it sucks they've also got the wrong guns i mean come on they've got the annihilator yeah. guns and i suppose that's an easy mistake to make you know the animators got a box full of toys and they're like okay this this guy's got a black gun cool let's put that in his hand and i don't blame them because the Night Viper gun is a mystery unto itself. <laughs> In terms of how you how you get a classic O-ring to hold that damn thing. Oh, jeez. Does it shoot forwards? Does it shoot backwards? Which <laughs> one of the barrels does it shoot out of? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm always going to be upset with uh, miscasting, particularly your Vipers. They all have a function and they all have a cool look about them. And it's ironic to me that you know you might say, well, there wasn't a Cobra Techie released in 1989. But they went to the trouble of animating a televiper for one mm. appearance. Okay? Yeah. They could have just had televipers working the, the dragonfire sticks. <laughs> or, you know, like you reuse that, that character design uh, instead of us seeing night vipers being recast. But anyways, I've spoken enough about that. Oh, another cool uh, high point is this little exchange, which I think is just wonderful. Uh, Scoop saying, you think that Ali Viper might be an okay guy? <laughs> and, and then Stalker says, you never know, he might even turn up someday as a G.I. Joe. And ever the cynic, we have low lights, adding the little sting in the tail with, dream on, once a cobra, always a low-down, dirty snake. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, highs and lows. Talk to me, boys. Obviously, the canoe scene. I think 
I think <laughs> I think it's pretty well known by this point in the episode that I really like the canoe scene. So let's you know that that I love the whole um, Baroness using the mask thing. I thought it was properly creepy, and I'm pretty sure that somebody got shat on for that being on TV, as is always the case with anything that's a little bit uh, macabre. And and magical or voodoo esque on on a on an animated series, so I dig that. So props to to those guys for sneaking that into into the episode somehow. I also really enjoy that low light is a hard ass about Scoop, and about Cobra in general. I, uh, and Steve just illustrated it uh, pretty well now. Oh, I've got another one for you, Paul. <laughs> yeah. That guy is awesome, says Scoop. To which low light replies. Correction, kid. That man is a G.I. Joe. And if you're real lucky, someday you might find out what that really means. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, what a badass. You know, he's such a hard ass. But it, it's in um, Lowlight's kind of defense, you know, in defense of his sort of like aesthetic uh, personality in these episodes, he did actually approach Scoop with kind of an open mind. And Scoop's all like, uh, you know, just throws a whole bunch of vitriol his way. So then Lowlights were like, okay, well, fine. You're one of those kids on the playground, aren't you? You know, and then he just ca- carries on being an asshole to him, which, which I think is kind of fair. It's like he, he carries it through the whole way and, you know, definitely sows those seeds of mistrust in the viewer's minds. So yeah, go, go Lowlights. And it's cool to see Lowlights, a character and a toy that is very cool. Just getting a little bit more than maybe one episode credited to him and one really badass line in the movie. So that was great for me. Also, uh, I love and hate one it. Thing, I live the one thing. A high and a low. Maybe I set a bad precedent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, a low, a, a definite low for me is the most outstanding part of the episode is what I just mentioned. There's, there's very little. Once again, it suffers from the same thing that the previous one suffers from. There's also, it's difficult to like sort of pin this episode in my memory and, and, remember what is actually going on it's crazy you know you watch we we watch these episodes before we do these takes or you know we we binge watch them and we binge watch them again and stuff just doesn't stick in my head as like being particularly memorable except for that damn canoe scene and that's kind of a failure problem with the episode or is a problem with your fractured brain bro it's a problem with the episode because all right (laughs) okay fine no, 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 and I, I mean, well, he said before that he watched. I've watched these episodes like you know properly. I mean, I often uh, get distracted, or not get distracted, but I often get pulled into the animated series and then stop doing any work that I'm doing, which is why I purposely don't watch GI Joe while I'm working. Um, but yeah, guys, I don't know. There's, it's just it doesn't leave the uh, the right impression in my memory. It just it just doesn't, and I think that's just because there is. Um, I think it's because the plot um, isn't well directed. It isn't well focused. We've got, we've almost got too much going on, and it's almost like I'm, I'm somebody who appreciates subtlety in filmmaking and in TV series. In fact, I love subtlety in TV series. But I find that like one second we like going after the dragon fire, then it's like okay, well, no, screw getting that dragon fire. We just find dragon fire somewhere else. Then it's like I think what you're trying you know, to say, man. And, is- there's sort of between the panels or between the episodes information that or, or events that are transpiring and we're just like jumping in uh, without yeah. without without any real 
prompting or or backstory. We're kind of getting it very briefly in dialogue. Uh, yes. Yeah. Show don't tell. There we go. And 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 I think you just hit the nail on the head. And I think the best way I can put it across is. It feels like you're always jumping into the middle of the episode. Doesn't matter if you've started the episode or at the beginning or in the middle. You always feel like you're in the middle of it. Uh, that's the best way I can I can translate or I can articulate my thought on that. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like uh, the Viper is coming, you need to start at Barbecue's house where everyone's having a good time. And then shit goes down. <laughs> I love that song, man. <laughs> Anyway, next gentleman. Let's uh, let's hear from North America for a change. Kudo. Already. Kudo. I can do that. High point. Let's see. Nobody's mentioned Lady J much uh, so far. She has some nice action. She has some underhand slings that find the mark. I, I like that bit of animation. Um, I do find the action scripting okay. I mean, it makes she sense. She one to of me. her javelins shot out of the sky. Did you notice that? I did not. Who shot it? It was a night viper, I think. Yeah, her and Lowlights are, are facing off against a pair of night vipers. He kind of takes the low road and lays down cover fire. She throws a javelin into the sky, and I've never seen it, one of her javelins being intercepted by Cobra shots. But, yeah, man, one of those eagle-eye night vipers stopped that bad boy from, from hitting the mark. Yeah, somebody in the art department was like, enough. Enough of this damn javelin. <laughs> somebody do something about it. Yeah. I agree with with Paul that 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 the events are somewhat forgettable. Maybe Booth was more interested in telling a personal arc, maybe Scoop's arc. Maybe that's something that's personal to him. But I, I think that we I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with that assumption because a lot of the shots are tight. You know they're not they're not looking to illuminate the surroundings. This person's having a, a revelation. Scoop's grappling with should he kill a new friend or you know roll with bad company. So. I'm along for the journey. I've not seen any of the episodes, so uh, the third one will be the first time I watch it. So, Robert, what say you? Yeah, I think I think I probably agree. Um, it's probably a low point, or my low point is that it really is. Maybe is it a low point? <laughs> the focus of the series is very different from any other miniseries, and it's just so weird to shift from decrying the previous miniseries for, you know, like being so over the top and being upset that this is so grounded in exploring essentially one character and like building on more or less physical and like immediate danger and more like, like, building to a greater danger i mean the cliffhanger for this episode i mean we didn't even mean i mean i think Stephen might have mentioned earlier is just the fact that cobra commander is like i'm back <laughs> and like that's the end i mean there was there's was a moment like a, a couple like a scene before this where you know scoop and and stalker are coming out of the the you know the the flooded uh, mountain and they're about to go over a waterfall. And that is normally where Friedman would end the episode, you know, mm. on this, this cliffhanger. Of course, I mean, as adults, you know nothing's going to happen. But I suppose as kids, you're like, ooh, you know, this is going to draw you in and keep you going. You're like, oh, no, mommy, daddy, the, the, the Joes are going to die. 
oh, we better watch tomorrow then, little Jimmy. <laughs> well, here, it's like, there's like this menacing end. And it's like, what is bringing the kids back from tomorrow? Like, is it, you know, like, oh, this is the deepness of Scoop. Will, will he or won't he? Which side is he really on? Is it Joe or is it Cobra? Well, I don't know, little Jimmy, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait. Well, okay, then. Let's uh, let's go read some Dostoevsky before bed. Um, <laughs> it, it definitely feels more like a modern animated series, I think, than, mm. than kind of like the 80s or the bombastic and braggadocio um, <laughs> infused. Maybe my own difficulty in kind of catching up with, with, with where Doug Booth is going with this. That's more of like me being the low point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think my high point is is definitely that jump. I mean, that was a spectacular jump. It just came out of nowhere, and I was like, "Wow!" Best jump it's ever. The spirit of Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> Ali Viper jump. <laughs> He's All like the, the six million dollar man. If he performs that jump and you're around, you get like a plus two bonus on the battlefield. <laughs> like, we got that. What do you got? Uh, yeah, inspiration. <laughs> uh, Inspirational <fantastic>. acrobatics. <laughs> Shit. So, I think. Carry on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ali Viper Leap. Plus two to strength. How would we rate this episode? Erebody. <sighs> Wow, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't actually give this a stronger rating than the the first one, but I want to for the simple fact that it introduces Stalker, a character who gets very uh, little service from Sunbow. I mean, when you consider how central and important and beloved he is in the comic book series, Stalker. I suppose it had a lot to do with the the action figure uh, not getting an update until very much later. And so we really have the toys to blame. But, like, he's back, and while I'm not as swept up in the voice acting, once again, I'm going to stop raising that point because it's becoming a bit tired. Uh, I love seeing Stalker back in the mix and him being somewhat of a legend, actually. He's... He's a one-man army. He's being used as a long-range recon patrol. Mm. Like, going into enemy territory on his own. Okay. I suppose in the patrol he would not be on his own. But, like, those are his skills. It's like the writers on the show, or writer on the show, took cognizance of that. And it wasn't just him being showcased with the canoe. Stalker himself was a compelling character who, who got the lines. You know, you could sense that they were trying to portray him as an honorable character. And that's something mm. that's very true to who Stalker is. He's like the G.I. Joe philosophical heart and soul. You know, he's the guy who reminds everyone why they're jumping out of that plane to rescue someone who hates the military. It's because we live in a democracy and it's everyone's right to disagree with the government and the military. But if we started denying them that right then we're an autocracy exactly what what are we fighting for we're we're fighting for everyone's right 
to be their own person. Getting heavy in here. And make up their own mind. So yeah, Stalker, I mean, there there are elements of that, you see. And and, and it's, it's evident in the way Scoop finds him aspirational. Like, Stalker is that character. And it's nice to see him presented as such. You know, Lowlight's not going to compel Scoop to be a better Joe or to be a Joe in the first place. Someone like Stalker is. <laughs> and it is hilarious to me that 30 years and some change later we're talking about this character with the codename Stalker as something that's aspirational. I mean, come on. Stalker? Goodness gracious me. Yeah, man, but he grew up on the on the mean streets of Harlem and stuff like that and he was a gangster and everything and, and the military <laughs> turned his life around. It's and just ironic to me around. that this yeah. term that is less than savory now... Stalker. Yeah. I yes. have a stalker. Yeah. I'm a stalker. I mean, this is a character that is so revered in G.I. Joe mythology as being like a good guy. The irony is delicious. I'm going to give it three and a half. So it pips day one ever so slightly. Okay. I think it's a superior episode. Next. I'm going to give it four and I'll tell you why. If somebody's going to look at these reviews and listen to us objectively and, you know, hear all of our reviews, I don't think I'm going to give any other episode a fall. So I want this episode to stand out. And why is it standing out? Well, everything that Steven said about Stalker and the Canoe right now. Uh, seriously, like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't... From this day forth, he's Stalker and the Canoe. Oh, my goodness. Stalker <laughs> and the Canoe. No, but, like, that's is why I'm not going to... Is it a canoe or like... a kayak? Hmm. You know, he calls it a canoe in the beginning, and then it becomes a kayak because he's like, get in the can. <laughs> I like that line. The other thing is, you know, if somebody's going to check this review and go, why did Paul give it four? Well, Stalker and his canoe and Baroness and her magical hoodoo. Anytime that kind of thing happens in an episode, I'm always going to give it more attention because it is something that is, it's very curious. And it's, it's great to see in an animated series. Now, by, I'm not you know, endorsing black magic or anything by any means. It's just, I just enjoy subjects like that being tackled on screen because I'm such a big fan of like horror and, you know, dark fantasy stuff that when I say dark fantasy, like gothic fantasy, that it's great to see that in, a, in, an, in an animated series. Uh, Ghostbusters has it as well with Cthulhu and it actually has a Cthulhu cult. And just by me saying this, I'm sure I've piqued the interest of some of our listeners. So I enjoyed seeing that in the episode. I also appreciate the his tank uh, opening at the back properly like the toy does. The Deke episodes so far have been really good adverts for the toys and that they show us how to use them. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. I mean, these are essentially toy adverts. Let's give this toy advert a good review for being a good toy advert. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, low points. I don't know what else is happening in the episode. I don't know if I'm really excited to Paul, see what's going to come. Paul, you've already done your low point, bro. You've rated it. It's done. Yes, it's four. Yeah, so there you go. So, yeah, four because yeah, reasons. And, yes, uh, who's next? Who, who wants to out-talk me, <laughs> please? Good luck. <laughs> I'll chase that. I'll agree with you on the, the occultic merits. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't throw a couple examples. Antlers also show up in, in shows like True Detective and uh, Game of Thrones. Even games mm. like Bioshock with the uh, the cult of the Saturnine. 
So mm-hmm. I liked that too. It adds a layer of kind of like what's going on. So that that does give it a bump for me. I I do like the personal stories. I think much like us, if you listen to this podcast, you may not understand what was just happening during this whole evening. But I think by the end, we'll really be able to judge this miniseries. I would be interested in kind of maybe starting with uh, when we get to the end, maybe visiting some character arcs from beginning to end. Because I think Booth is more interested in telling character development than actual plotting. So he might be trying to script some uh, some interesting arcs to uh, reflect on when it's over. Oh, my number? <laughs> um, I'll go with uh, I'll go with a four because I, I do like the the Cobra Commander cliffhanger. I'm back. My goodness, this is in danger of being our top-rated miniseries episode ever. <laughs> no, I'm gonna be. We just need like w- one more four. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know what? It's all on you. you know, hold on, hold on. No, 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 realize. no. It's locked in. It's locked okay, in. Okay. Come on, Kujo. <laughs> Don't have second thoughts. Let your yay be yay. Yay. <laughs> Rob, what say you, brother? Was this better than the previous episode or worse? I will admit that I like this a bit more. I mean, the setup in the first episode was essentially. You know, just setting everything up. This one, we kind of get to see a little bit more of Scoop and the the machinations. You know, how he kind of goes about his job of playing the G.I. Joes. Um, yeah, mm. I suppose kind of playing both sides. Because, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't go for the kill on Stalker. But at the same time, I, I understand I have reason for myself why he doesn't do that. You know, to maintain cover. And... Yeah, I mean, the more personal moments are starting to become more interesting. And I think uh, what Kujo said is probably true, that Ruth is more interested in an overall story, you know, over five episodes, than he is in kind of, like, smashing each and every single episode. And, you know, like, he's not really worried about potentially losing, you know, a couple of kids along the way. Um, He's probably... (laughs) He's not much of a stalker then. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm also going to play it a little bit safe and um, just just edge my way up very slowly to a 3.5. The series feels like a slow burn. It feels like it slowly gets to where it's going. It's building interest. It wants you to care, I think, a little bit more than maybe Friedman did. I mean, by this point in time, well, I can't even actually imagine what Friedman would have done the world would have exploded or something. <laughs> <laughs> the moon would have been broken into five different pieces and we would have yes. to go to different parts of the world to find them. Yeah. <laughs> While the tide is rising. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And we have to put it all together before the entire world, you know, uh, submerges under the ocean. Um, and it's consumed by a giant space fatal fluffy. Yeah, exactly. And the only person with a big enough boat is Cobra and they probably want, like, Five million dollars a ticket or something. <laughs> Until Shipwreck gets building his ultimate sand skimmer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, yep, okay, so... Uh, is it a skimmer or is it a boat? 3.75 puts it as a pretty highly rated episode in the history of G.I. Joburg. 
Guys, I've got to confess that as soon as I hang up this Skype call, I'm watching episode 3. Mm. I'm more excited to watch the next installment of Operation Dragonfire after this podcast than I've ever been just on its own merits. All of a sudden, I'm like, what the hell does happen? What is the, the scene when Cobra Commander arrives back at Cobra headquarters in front of Serpentor and Destro, and he's like, yo, what's up? <laughs> you know? How does that play out? How does Scoop's story play out now that he's having this crisis of conscience? That's the biggest draw, is that we are getting something completely different. Is that we're podcasting about it and we're hyping ourselves up. <laughs> exactly. Could that be, what, we... that, that's what it really comes down to. But at the same time, <laughs> also, we don't know what to expect. It's it's not Freeman anymore. You know, this is, this is Deke. The rules have changed. Indeed, the rules have definitely changed. So I hope everyone's going to come back. We don't have any R rating, though. Damn it. Why didn't I speak enough? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Catch us uh, same time tomorrow for day three of Operation Dragonfire. Do it.